Good morning. There is children's church today, so children between the ages of two and six can head on downstairs. And I'm very, very proud of myself for remembering. I'm going to open up in prayer, so bow with me. Jesus, as we approach Thanksgiving, as we recognize what you have done for us, as we recognize the ways in which we are blessed, as we recognize all across the world the ways that you are moving, the ways that you are active, the ways that you are drawing people to you, I pray that we would be aware of that, that it wouldn't pass us by, that we would see the ways in which you're working, that we would be grateful for those things, that we would celebrate them with glad hearts, uh, and that in all situations we would praise you and we would give you thanks in your name. Amen. There was a man uh, who was telling a story to his friends uh, one day. He was talking about having been out for a walk in a national park and accidentally walking off the trail, leaving the main trail, and he didn't notice that he was off course for quite some time until the sun was beginning to go down and the air was beginning to cool off, and by this time he's a couple of miles out into the middle of nowhere and he's hopelessly lost. He checks his phone, no service. He checks his pack, no food, no water. He isn't prepared to spend a night out in the woods. He can't orient himself, he can't figure out where he is, so he begins to panic. He shouts for help. And he gets no answer, and eventually, terrified, he prays to God for help. Someone listening to his story interrupts and asks, did God answer your prayer? And the man replies, no, he didn't, but to be fair, God didn't really get a chance. Just minutes after I prayed, a park ranger showed up and escorted me out. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about thankfulness and what it looks like or what it means to be thankful, to be grateful for what God has given us and what God does for us. It seemed like a good topic with Thanksgiving coming up. I thought maybe rather than topic or tackle the topic on the weekend, talk about this next week, we could get ahead of the game a little bit. We could get you all geared up uh, for the upcoming week, for the upcoming holiday weekend. Get your minds thinking a little bit already about thankfulness. So an important part of my sermon preparation Uh, is sitting frustrated and staring at a blank computer screen. (laughs) Every single time I preach, and I know many other preachers and pastors and speakers feel this way, there is always an early stage where I've, I've picked a scripture, I've picked a direction, I've gotten excited about it usually, and then I sit down to write, and nothing. I I have no idea how to approach it. I, I, I don't know how to take the seed of what's in my head what I might see in a piece of scripture and and communicate that well. And over my first few sermons when I started speaking, I was convinced that this was an early stage, that this was something I was going to end up growing out of. Now I'm not so sure. And and you notice I said it was an important part of my prep, and and it was sort of tongue-in-cheek that I said that, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that it's actually, it's a natural part of the creative process. It's a natural part of being able to filter through the things I don't want to say the things that I believe God isn't calling me to say and to hone in on truth and to hone in on what is important and what I do want to communicate and what the Holy Spirit is working in me, I trust, to deliver to you. Uh, 
And so as I began to plan this message, like many other messages, I sat and I stared at a, a blinking cursor at the top of my Word document, and I thought about Thanksgiving. And at first, I was totally stumped, because thankfulness is actually, in some ways, a bit of a tricky thing to preach on. It's, it, it feels too simple. I come up here and say, we should be thankful, and you will go, amen, we should be thankful, and what more is there to say? We're done. Well, just like going on a diet or making a New Year's resolution or deciding to exercise more, thankfulness is actually about more than just deciding that, yes, it would be a good idea to be thankful. I should do that. Because thankfulness is not the default position of the human heart. I think we all know intuitively in our spirits that it is far easier to complain about things and to see the negative in things than to see the positive. If, if you take an anthropology course, they would tell you that this is because humans have evolved or have developed uh, to become risk-averse. We pay more attention to danger than we do to benefit because that's actually a good way to stay alive. And I actually think there's a piece of truth to that, to the way that we're wired on sort of a practical level, but I also think that it's true that there's a spiritual element to that, that we are dealing constantly with this thing that Paul calls the flesh, this brokenness, this sin nature in us that we're constantly uh, in a tug of war with. Years ago, uh, I don't remember actually even exactly what the message was overall, but Darren talked about this idea of spiritual gravity. The idea that our lives are a constant fight against this tendency or this pull towards brokenness, towards the flesh. And if we don't fight we will tend to drift towards, to get pulled towards bitterness and grumpiness, towards easily feeling insulted or attacked or offended by what is going on around you. And you don't have to be a Christian to notice this trend. A comedian on a late night talk show a few years ago went on a rant about culture saying that everything is amazing and nobody is happy. He talked about when uh, internet, when Wi-Fi was first available on planes. Now, this isn't too many years ago. It was a big deal when it happened. Uh, and he was on, he happened to be on one of the very, very first flights with this feature. So they excitedly announce this thing, they go up into the air, people are basically cheering about this, they're connecting their phones and their laptops to this Wi-Fi on this plane, and they're sort of marveling at this technology, they're watching YouTube videos, and they're reading news, and they're checking social media, but about an hour into the flight, the Wi-Fi breaks down. And the guy next to this comedian says, ah, oh, piece of garbage, can't have anything nice and proceeds to sulk for the rest of the flight. Something that literally did not exist days before, something that nobody on that plane had ever experienced, had never had access to, shows up and immediately there's a sense of entitlement. The world owes you this, you deserve this thing that you didn't even know existed. There's sort of a schoolyard proverb that I'm sure you've heard which says point one finger at someone else and three point back at you. As I was writing this sermon, Actually, as I was in this specific part of the process, I had a knock on my door. Valley Fiber showed up. <laughs> I knew they were coming that day. It was like Christmas morning. They had come to hook up internet that is literally 50 times faster than my current connection, and I was already dreaming about streaming the Jets game in full HD that evening. No hiccups, no buffering, no breakdowns. And so as I wrote... I could hear them running the cable, I could hear them setting things up, and then the internet on my computer went out. And the guy comes up and sort of sheepishly apologizes and said, 
We've tested everything. Everything seems to work. There must be a problem with the drop line from the road to the house. We're going to have to get the guys to come out ASAP to run a new drop cable. When that happens, I'll come back and set things up. Maybe today, maybe sometime next week. And so in the middle of writing a sermon on thankfulness, more than that, in the middle of talking about entitled people complaining about the internet, I could feel my spirit begin to grumble. How am I going to watch that game? I'm seriously going to have the same internet speed that I've had for the next couple of days? I don't deserve this. And I had to stop myself. And I had to intentionally step back and I had to pull on the reins of my thoughts and I had to say, Jesse, get a hold of yourself. This is not a big deal. This is not a personal attack. These people are doing everything they can. Nothing meaningful has changed in your life. In fact, your life is good. Life goes on. But that's how strong that pull is. For me at least, how easy it is to snap into that default mode of entitlement or bitterness. So maybe thanksgiving or thankfulness isn't such a simple topic. Maybe it deserves some focused attention and thought. The passage I'm going to get into today is found in Luke chapter 17. So I encourage you to turn there with me in your Bibles, on your phones. And this part of Luke, uh, Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem. He's sort of been crisscrossing Israel in his ministry. He's been bouncing around to different towns. And now he is in this process where he is sort of intentionally heading back uh, towards Jerusalem. Uh, which is going to be where he spends the last week of his life before his crucifixion. So he's in the process of this trip. It's going to take several months, but he's getting closer and closer. And along the way, uh, he's continuing to minister. He's teaching and he's healing and he's mentoring. And we're going to pick things up in the middle of chapter 17 at verse 11. And this is what it says. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And before we get further, I want to talk a little bit about leprosy. Because it's not a disease that we think about a lot these days. It's been very nearly eradicated in North America and is now treatable. But in some part of the world... Uh, it's still a fairly big issue, and certainly back in Jesus' time, it was a death sentence. It was horrific. Uh, William Barclay, uh, he's a New Testament commentator, he writes this about leprosy. He says, The whole appearance of the face is changed till the man loses his human appearance and looks, as the ancients said, like a lion. The nodules grow larger and larger. They ulcerate. From them comes a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The voice becomes hoarse. And the breath wheezes because of ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and the feet always ulcerate. Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of the disease is nine years. And it ends in mental decay, in coma, and ultimately death. The sufferer becomes utterly repulsive both to himself and to others. So because this disease was communicable by touch... The lepers were totally isolated, which is why these men were standing at a distance uh, calling out. Lepers were the lowest of the low. Legally and socially and, and, and religiously, they were considered to be already dead, essentially. They were gone. They were unclean. They could not be saved in any form. They were totally removed from society, from relationship, and from human touch. 
Uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter 13, verse 3, it says that if somebody has leprosy, they are unclean, and from that moment on, they're religiously defiled. They're unable to worship in the temple. And it was also generally believed by Jews at that time that leprosy was a disease you received as punishment for sins. If you were living a horrible life, you got leprosy. That was sort of the connection that they tended to make. Uh, but it was also a favorite disease for the prophets to bring up when criticizing the rottenness or the fallenness of Israel. Uh, Isaiah says of Israel that the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot even to the head there is nothing sound on it only bruises, welts, and raw wounds not pressed, not pressed out or bandaged, not softened with oil. So that's a reference to leprosy and you see many of those especially in the minor prophets uh, and, and the major prophets, the sort of the end of the Old Testament there. Jesus often worked with lepers and healed them and it's not a random chance that the gospel writers zeroed in on this. Because leprosy, like sin, made people unclean, made people like dead men, made people broken and without hope. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am conquering death, I am conquering disease, I am conquering uncleanliness and defilement, I am conquering the things that separate you from God and I am making you whole and I am bringing you into my presence. And so it's a beautiful thing and it speaks to our own spiritual condition. The lepers recognize the wretched state they were in and they call out to God. If they had gone, it's not that bad. Sure, I have leprosy, but I don't have that much leprosy. Not as much as that guy, at least. I can probably deal with it on my own. Then they would have missed the opportunity for healing and restoration. But these lepers do get that right. All ten of them are calling out to Jesus. So we're going to continue in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleaned. So there's all sorts we could get into there about the order that things happen there. It's really interesting. Jesus tells them to go while they are still lepers, and as they walk in faith, then they are healed. Uh, but that's another sermon. So we'll keep on going. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So Luke is noting that he's a Samaritan because in the Jewish eye that was just one more level of uncleanness, of defilement, one that doesn't go away when the leprosy is gone. To the Jewish people, the Samaritans were an embarrassment. They were a mixed up race, they had mixed up theology, they were on the outside looking in. But Jesus doesn't care about what race or status or culture says is in or out. He cares about the heart. And so then Luke continues, Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So, looking at this passage, specifically as it relates to thankfulness, there are three things that stuck out to me, three points that I want to get into today. So the first is that it's important to God. I'll give you all three right now and then we'll go through them. The first is that it's important to God. The second is that it's in spite of, not because of, circumstances. And the third is that it's something to share. So the first is what we'll go into first, is that it's important to God. So Jesus notices here what happens. We can see that in this story he cares about the nine that didn't return, and he also cares about the one that did return. God values, cares about, and notices 
our thankfulness. In fact, he calls us to it over and over. It's, it's not an optional extra. It's a core part of what we are tasked with, what we are called to uh, as Christians. Over and over again in the Bible, we are called to be thankful, to give thanks. It's considered to be a sign of spiritual maturity. It's considered to be a sign of the Holy Spirit in us. First uh, Thessalonians says that we should give thanks in all circumstances, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to give thanks. Uh, Colossians 3, the passage that Darren talked about last week, says that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we should do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And uh, on the other side, a lack of thankfulness towards God is also brought up as a key indicator that we've lost the plot or are missing the mark. Uh, in Romans 1, Paul calls out those who have fallen into sin, who are living a lie, and he starts it this way. For although they knew God, they neither glorified nor gave thanks to him. Thankfulness is a key ingredient here. Paul structures it like the first step on a downhill slope. People who knew God, that's good, but here's where they messed up. They didn't glorify or give thanks to God. And then it snowballs in Romans 1. It goes from there to foolishness and futility and idolatry and sexual sin and depravity and evil and greed. But according to Paul, the seed of this or the start of this is a lack of thankfulness. So we see it all throughout the New Testament and the rest of the Bible, but it shows up here in this story very clearly. Jesus, our best picture of who God is, the invisible God made visible, clearly cares about, notices, values, and engages with our thanks. It matters to him. So that's the first point. The second is this. Thankfulness is a virtue that exists in spite of, not because of, circumstances. And maybe I can put that another way. If, if you are not a thankful person, receiving gifts is not going to turn you into a thankful person. Do you think that's true? If you do not have a thankful heart, if you are not cultivating a spirit of thankfulness, receiving gifts or blessings or good things is not going to be what turns you into a thankful person. It's not about what you get. Sometimes I think that we can begin to feel a little bit sorry for ourselves if we're having a bad day or a bad month or a bad year. And, and, and when we miss out on opportunities and maybe especially when we look at other people and we see all the opportunities that they seem to be getting and we go, if only we had those things, if only we had those opportunities, if only we were on that vacation or won that prize or got that promotion, then we could be thankful. Oh, then thankfulness would be easy. It would flow. If our lives were getting better, thankfulness would pour out of us naturally. But here we see that's not the case. Here we see people who have won the lottery. More than winning the lottery, that's just money. They've literally been given a second chance at life. They've been rescued from what you could call hell on earth. They've been healed and made whole. It's the biggest and best gift that any of them could have possibly been given. If there was ever a thing that happened to anybody that would cause them to give thanks... This would be it. And yet nine out of ten of them, nine out of ten men, couldn't be bothered up to show up and say thank you. If, if we are pinning our ability to be thankful in outside circumstances, then I'm going to argue that we don't really understand uh, what thankfulness is. I had the opportunity to, uh, to visit Rudy in the hospital a while back, and Rudy 
I would characterize as an incredibly thankful guy. He's been through a lot in his life, up and down. Right now, in many ways, it's a down. He's fighting hard. He's got good days and bad days. It's a tough place to be, and yet he is a man who, when I see him, uh, radiates thankfulness. Uh, When I showed up to talk with him, uh, a piece of scripture had kind of been running around in my mind that I wanted to share with him, and it was Philippians 4. And there's a a ton of great stuff in that chapter, but in the interest of time, I'm going to zero in on just two verses, and they're the ones that were read earlier. They're the ones that are found uh, in your bulletin. And it says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, the word thanks or thank you or thankful doesn't literally show up. But that last line there is a line rooted and overflowing in thankfulness. I can do all things through him is another way of saying thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me, for the ways in which you have healed me, for the ways in which you give me strength. It means the same thing. The point Paul is making, if we apply it to thankfulness, is this. Thankfulness, that is, an appreciation or an awareness or a gratefulness for what God has done for us, is completely independent of how life is treating you in the moment. It's recognizing that in every situation, whatever, whether you're in jail as Paul was when he wrote those words, whether you're in physical rehab like Rudy, thankfulness comes from knowing who holds us and who rescues us and who gives us strength. The third point is this. Thankfulness is something to share. Thankfulness is infectious. It spreads, but it has to be shared to spread. It needs to be talked about. We have to be in contact with each other. It's it's possible that those other men, the other nine, were thankful. I'm sure in some form they were thankful for what happened to them. They they probably felt thankfulness uh, in their hearts, and they probably celebrated to themselves as they went, I can imagine, but they didn't go back. They didn't say it out loud. They didn't let the one who helped them know. And it's important when we feel thankfulness that we tell people. It's one of the things that I love about our sharing times that we have together. I love nothing more than sharing it and recognizing the thankfulness of people around me. And I've learned over the years, both from receiving thank yous from people and from having the opportunity to give thanks and seeing how people react, there is nothing quite like a meaningful, heartfelt thank you for somebody when they have blessed you. When someone is giving you a gift of any kind, turning around and saying, thank you. I've told my sponsors with junior youth sometimes, one of the best things that you can do for a youth is saying thanks and meaning it when they have done something right or good or over the top, when they have blessed you or encouraged you or taught you something. And actually, there's almost nothing you can do that's better for a youth parent than to go to them and say, I'm thankful for your kid. I'm thankful for what he did. He did an amazing thing at youth the other day. I'm thankful for the way that you raised him. Those are incredible blessings to people. Hearing about thankfulness for us or for the people around us. It warms the heart. It builds our community. It builds strength. It ties our relationships together. And it can change our perspectives. There's a beautiful story that I read when I was looking into leprosy a little bit uh, for this message. And, And I think it illustrates really well how speaking out our thankfulness, how living with a thankful heart has the power to transform or enrich or teach or build up those around you. So it comes 
uh, from Pastor Jack Hinton from North Carolina. He was leading uh, a missions trip to Tobago. And, and they had been leading a sermon there. And they had time for one more song. So he had asked if anybody had a request. And then this is what it reads. It says, a woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around. It was the most hideous face I had ever seen, Hinton said. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. The disease had destroyed her lips as well. She lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, Can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And overcome with emotion, Hinton left the service. He was followed by another team member who said, Jack, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. Yes, I will, Jack replied, but I'll never sing it in the same way. Speaking our thanks out loud helps it become more real to us. It blesses the receiver. It honors God, and it enriches our community. It's a powerful, powerful thing to do. I want to close, maybe bring it home a little bit, uh, with an exchange or a comment that I saw on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, like a lot of social media, can very quickly become a hateful place. Uh, The number of political memes and angry posts about hot-button issues or how the Jets are playing or whatever. It gets angry very, very quickly. And, and something that has gotten people riled up recently is this boil water advisory. I'm sure it's gotten some of you riled up. I've certainly had my fear of grumpy words to say about it. This is, what, the fourth one in the last six months? It's enough to make a person want to pull their hair out. It's hugely inconvenient. It's a waste of time and money buying bottled water or boiling water on the stove or in big stock pots. And, and why can't the RM just get their act together? And wasn't this communicated, or this wasn't communicated well enough? And, and are we in a first world country or not? And on and on and on and on it goes. And like I said, I've done my, my fair share of grumbling over this. And, and it's fun sometimes when you're angry to read other angry comments and feel like people are with you and you start to get this rhythm going and you kind of get frustrated about things. And as I was looking through some of the posts on Facebook about this, something kind of stopped me in my tracks. There was a comment thread and amidst all of the shouting and grumbling and, and, and swearing and name calling and whatever else was going on, one person sort of calmly posted this reminder. Maybe some of you saw it as well. They said... We are fortunate that we have a water supply that we seldom need to think about. We are fortunate that our water is tested continuously to keep people as safe as possible. We are fortunate that there is a system in place to notify the public when we need to take extra precautions. We are fortunate that we have responsible people who manage our water treatment facilities and that they don't hesitate to notify us when there is any concern with the water quality, even though they know there will be a ton of unreasonable complaints. One out of ten willing to give thanks. One person willing to fight that gravity of self-focus, of self-centeredness, of entitlement, and to say, no, life isn't perfect, but there's so much to be thankful for here. And more than think it, they said it out loud, or they typed it out loud. And, And it's worth noting that it immediately changed the tone of the conversation. I will guess that at least dozens, maybe hundreds of people will have been like me, will have been getting riled up and frustrated and had that same experience that I did. They will have found that comment, they will have read it, and then they will have felt their hearts slow down a little bit. They will have felt their fists unclench a little bit. They will have felt their spirits settle a little bit. Thankfulness is a powerful weapon in the spiritual war that we are called to fight. So let us be quick to wield it. The last thing I'll say is this. 
there was an insert in your bulletins uh, about next week's Sharing Sunday. Uh, this is an opportunity for us as a church to talk about what we are thankful for. The entire service is going to be a time of, of sort of singing together and sharing together uh, in, in a spirit of thanksgiving. So I want to make a couple of notes on that. First of all, I know that not everyone is the sort of person who's excited to jump up uh, and grab a microphone and, and share in that way. That can be an intimidating thing, and I understand that. So I want to encourage you that the sharing time can be bigger than the typical stand up and talk about something you're thankful about. So if you have a song request, or a piece of scripture, or a poem, or a quote that you would like to read, or even something that you would like to have somebody else read for you, uh, if you have a piece of art that you want to show, if you have something that you want to play, uh, if you have a dance that you want to do, or, or some other non-traditional way of expressing thanks, all of that is welcome and encouraged next week. I love these opportunities to share together, to invite each other into our lives and into our spirits. In these, in these, some, they're, they're small, but they're so meaningful, uh, these ways that we do this. And, and to me, this is when we look most like a body together, when we're sharing this way. We look most like the church in some ways when we're sharing in this kind of a fashion. So <laughs> as we go out this week, uh, I encourage you all to be aware of, of the Holy Spirit in you of the power of thankfulness and be aware in thinking about that spiritual gravity, that default setting that we have towards self-centeredness or towards entitlement and fight actively and intentionally against that. Fight actively to see God working in the little things, to see the blessings and the gifts and the beauty of God around you. Be thankful in all situations and then I'm super excited to sit down with you in a week and to say it out loud to talk about what God has shown you, what God has shown us as we gather together as the church, glorifying God and giving thanks, whatever. Amen.